Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Potiva. Hi Divas, welcome to this week's episode of Pod Diva. My name is Eleanor and I'm the junior staff writer. For this week's episode, I spoke to Rowan Ellis, video creator and LGBTQI educator. She co-hosts the Queer Movie Podcast and is a self-professed food and D&D nerd. And her trademark blue hair is pretty cool, so I have a lot of hair envy. Her new book, Here and Queer, A Queer Girl's Guide to Life, came out just last week and it offers guidance on everything LGBTQI-identifying teenagers might need to see them through. Rowan never had this kind of support herself and she reassures that this book is for everyone, whether bisexual, gay, trans, lesbian, questioning or otherwise, you name it, there's no gatekeeping here. In this episode, we discussed her new book, LGBTQI Inclusive Education and her adult ADHD diagnosis. Rowan raises such important awareness of how ADHD impacts women in particular, sharing her story of a relatively late diagnosis in her mid-twenties. I was only diagnosed when I was 24, so we had a really great bonding moment over this fact. I hope that this will resonate with other people living with ADHD and know that they are not alone. Rowan's book, Here and Queer, The Queer Girl's Guide to Life, includes wonderful illustrations by Jackie Sheridan, which you can see in this month's Diva magazine in a piece penned by Rowan herself. Your book is arriving in May. Congratulations. Amazing. I think my copy is currently being used as a as a little stand to put the laptop on. So (laughs) I just know what it is. It's always just moving around my flat just whenever it needs to be there to like prop something up. Or which is I should probably have it pride of place. But yeah, at the moment it's just a tripod. Could you tell me a little bit about it? Just go wild. Yeah, so basically it's kind of um, like a non-fiction uh, guide to growing up for queer girls. The idea essentially was like the book that I didn't have growing up and that I really sorely needed. So it mm-hmm. covers a whole range of topics in its like reasonably short uh, number of pages. So everything from like figuring out your sexuality, but that's kind of not where it dwells. Um, it's like, here is here is that. But that's just the start of your journey of being like a queer person that isn't the be all and end all. And I do think there's a lot of like coming out media for teen girls and well, not a lot of it. We'd want more of it, but there is an amount of media that involves coming out as like the primary drama or the primary driving point. As if that's like the one thing that queer people do. And then it's like, tick, done. Okay, I guess that's it then. But I wanted to delve into other stuff afterwards that was looking at like our history and 
kind of exciting figures from that history, looking at like activism and advocacy and ways to get involved in the community in that way, like how to find queer friends, like romance and sex and safe sex and consent, like basically all of the stuff that comes afterwards. And so, yes, it was essentially just packing everything in, in a way that felt like it was going into enough detail for it to be useful, but not focusing too much on one point or another, kind of acknowledging that people have a lot of different interests or, or parts of their identity or parts of the community that they might be invested in and kind of dipping into each of those. And then we also have some amazing illustrations, absolutely beautiful from Jackie Sheridan, our illustrator. I'm so amazingly ha happy with like how it all came out. Also some guest essays from queer friends of mine who kind of agreed to write about their own experiences and their own thoughts about their queerness and their identities as well. Amazing. Yeah, I was so excited about the the illustrations when it arrived. I was like, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. And just to flick yeah, through so it, nice. you know, the the quality of the lovely pages is, is just excellent. So well done. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, every time people come around my house now, I have, I'm like, and here's the book and they open it and they kind of like gasp for a second because they were like wait there's illustrations in the book like I thought it was just a, a cool cover like I didn't realize mm. it's all through the book it's like no no like we we made it so that there's it's very kind of graphic it's not just a very dry like sort of textbook type text which I to be fair do have a lot of textbook style <laughs> texts about queerness in my in my own personal collection but for this I wanted it to be something that was just kind of as accessible and inclusive as possible mm, definitely when I sort of picked it up for the first time and had a little flick I just was struck by how accessible it is and how like well laid out but it, this, this I'm really excited about this so amazing what inspired you to write this book and what was the process towards publication like so I was a pub was approached by the publisher. We'd kind of talked before about a completely different book. The way that it, it kind of works is various ways that books can get published, but the way that it seemed to be going for me was someone in a within a publishing house will have an idea for the book and they'll think about who might be able to write it and then they'll kind of ask that that person to come up with a proposal to basically pitch the book to so that they can see if they think they're the right person to write it. And then once that's all done, that person in the publishing house will go to the rest of their team and have to then pitch the book to them to see if they actually want to take it. And so that was originally happening with a totally different book with my publisher. You know, the big pitch meeting was going to be March of 2020. Mm. And, uh, you know, for various reasons, that didn't happen. Um, and so <laughs> that project, I think, got just like scrapped, like put on the back burner, like I didn't hear anything for a while. And then they came back and said, look, we've been really kind of thinking about you and like things that we might do with you that are slightly different. And this was what they pitched was essentially a book for queer girls like a growing up guide a, a guide to life like something that was specifically for them and I was like yes absolutely thank you very much please and then I had to write a book proposal so I had to figure out like what I wanted to include in the book the chapters kind of write summaries give some examples of the kind of stuff I might include do some sample writing all of that jazz and then luckily they had a meeting with all the stuff I sent them and said yes this isn't terrible we would like it please um <laughs> And so I got to got to kind of write it from there. A lot of the stuff that I do online, like I have a YouTube channel where I talk about a lot of queer stuff, but I don't necessarily talk a lot about my personal experiences and my personal life. It's much more video essay style, commentary on uh, queer representation or history, things like that. And so in the book, I have 
a little bit more of my own personal experiences. I kind of talk a bit about the fact that I was bullied for being gay before I ever knew I was gay, which I feel like is like an experience that some other queer people can relate to. I'm mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. how do you know this about myself when I don't even know it about me? And like at the time, the reason why I was being bullied was because I was specifically interested in sticking up for queer kids and queer rights within my school there was a situation where they had blocked Stonewall's website and Albert Kennedy Trust website like websites which have information specifically for queer teenagers because of lesbian and gay content that was what came up when you tried to access the sites like inappropriate access denied lesbian and gay content and me being the straight ally that I thought I was, was like, this is an injustice. This could do untold damage to like queer kids who are, who are trying to discover like who they are themselves, especially blocking charities that are specifically meant to help them with that. So I and a couple of my friends were like demanding meetings with her teacher and getting petitions and like all this kind of stuff. Ultimately, now I can see why my teachers were like hovering over me like, is there anything you would like to tell us, Rowan? Like, d- feel free to open up, like all this kind of stuff. But at the time I was like, just because someone believes in gay rights doesn't mean they're gay as well. Like open your minds, people. And then a few months later, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm putting the pieces together. And so I was like, so I think aware from a very early age that like information and knowledge and education is key. Like that is the thing that makes people feel seen and appreciated and understood themselves but also creates an environment in which other people are also aware of the fact that that person should be acknowledged and seen and respected and when you only give that knowledge to a certain group of people about themselves like it's going to do damage to everyone else and so it kind of just made sense to me this book the idea of like getting this information out there and like just being even just like a piece there are so many amazing books that have come out in in recent years and actually even less recently I guess at this point like Juno's book this Mm. book is gay is old news like it's it's been around it's a it's like a classic at this point but there's more and more coming out and a lot of them are very specifically going into particular identities some of them are more fun more serious more autobiographical and I just like the idea of having mine be a drop within this really exciting pool of kind of nonfiction and and guides and helpful advice type books for for young people who are going through this journey of like what ultimately I think is really fun and beautiful and joyful which is like being queer and being part of the community. I have I have the same journey which is why I think this this book is such an amazing project because there was just nothing out there yeah so totally the same experience totally the same thing I'm a straight ally oh my gosh I'm so concerned about all this (laughs) stuff going on I went to an all-girls school Mm-hmm, same classic classic trajectory and then since you've you've been on youtube when what year did you start youtube i t- wish i had the answer for you on <laughs> I, that one. I, I was I, trying I, to find many moons ago um basically i sort of like started doing youtube way before i actually took it seriously and started to do proper videos so i think i started to actually make proper videos maybe like 2014 something like that mm-hmm. so a long time ago now yeah i kind of have done a ton of different stuff on the channel like now i've kind of primarily do long form content but I was kind of making it about this and that and I think when you don't have an audience you don't really necessarily think about like oh these things that I'm making could have an impact but I think anyone who's made videos around like queer history or experiences like people who do daily vlogs or couples vlogs or things where they talk about being queer like 
even if you just get a handful of views, the response that you get shows how important that kind of representation is, even if you don't realize it. Because there are so many people who need to see like a gay couple just going about their lives doing a fun daily vlog like in their flat like that is really like important and revolutionary to a lot of people out there that I think once you have like come out and found your queer community and are like a bit older you maybe take slightly for granted or you you can take for granted uh like oh yeah like it's everything's great like this is wonderful why would people care about me just talking about queer stuff in general and every time you post and you see comments from people about how much it means to them you appreciate again like how that's not the case for everyone and that journey is still continuing and even though we'd like to think that queer kids now at school are like in super accepting environments and they get taught about queer figures in history the same as straight figures and they are able to openly discuss it and there's no homophobia like what a wonderful world that would be but unfortunately (laughs) not necessarily the case and I think especially now you know, we've got all of these censorship laws happening in various places in the States, like the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida. It feels like just this really awful cycle, which is going back around to like when I was at school and Section 28 was happening in the UK. We just need like as much as possible for there to be sources of information for young people is my personal thought on that on that sort of topic. And even on Section 28, I, I think the legacy continued afterwards, like massively, Absolutely. even when it was, you know, because it was repealed in 2001, I think. I mean, if you think about it, like just from a, a logical point of view, even if immediately afterwards, every school was like, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to be fine with uh, mentioning gay people. You still have all of the teachers who were trained during that period mm. who did not get trained in this. And they sure as hell weren't getting trained off the bat afterwards. Like, that was not happening. And so you had an environment where people were still living almost under the same fear. Almost like a a, a weird heightened version of that fear because they, not only could they, they could talk about it, but they didn't know how and they didn't want to mess it up. Because at that point, it's like, okay, if we're going to acknowledge that this is important to talk about, but we're not going to give teachers the support to allow them to like understand how to have those conversations you have situations like what I had at school where teachers would just say nothing if there was homophobic bullying that they'd see in front of them like they would just sort of not mention it they would just not talk about it because there was still that fear of like wait can we say anything about this like I don't want to get into the messiness of that like this this is something that for a long time was seen as something that was like explicitly against the rules of my job but I haven't been told how, how these new rules work in reality for me. And so, yeah, I know I totally agree. The legacy of it, it's ultimately still continuing today. Like I've, I've gone in and done some workshops in schools and talked to young people and like, there's just so little still being taught actually in the classroom. Like every single one of them comes out of it with like a, one of the big criticisms of how their school deals with queer stuff is that they just don't. Mm. <laughs> you know, and they're having to find that information elsewhere. And that a lot of them feel like they don't necessarily know what is accurate. Like, obviously, the internet is the source of so much knowledge. But being a young person who is trying to figure something out that they don't have any base knowledge of, like they're trying to do it from scratch, they're all very aware of like, I don't actually know how much what I'm looking at is true. Like, I've seen it, but actually trying to figure out what is accurate, what is not up to date, what is relevant is is really difficult definitely and I think this is where the legacy of queer specific YouTube comes in because it it sort of comes so far I remember when Troye Sivan came out and that spurred 
so much movement in the YouTube community and since then things have really come a long way. So how would you say during your sort of tenure on YouTube, how has LGBTQI specific content changed and maybe how has your content changed? You kind of had the rise of people at first on YouTube who sort of didn't come out because they were just already vaguely out on YouTube, like kind of the Tyler Oakley's of YouTube. Mm. And then you had this kind of rise in the coming out video where it was like we are people who started either not knowing our sexuality or deliberately having to hide our sexuality there was this wave of people like I remember Ingrid Nilsson as well being someone who at the time had a heart where it was like hey you've gotten to know us assuming that we're straight and I'm going to like now tell you about this part of myself that I figured out and I think both of those are really powerful right like having the people who for whom it was just like something that they didn't even think that they needed to hide and then those who felt like they had to make the decision to come out and often those videos are not just like oh by the way everyone just updating you on my sexuality they're very emotional they're very like fraught videos and I think that has been useful over the years for people to be able to see all of those different types of experiences, to feel seen if they resonate with one or the other of them, or to maybe understand more why, what people are going through who are having, or potentially are going through, who are figuring out their identity in this way. I think that like queerness has, as with the world at large, is everywhere on YouTube, in that there are people who are doing makeup videos, who are doing commentary videos, who are doing, I don't know, I'm, I'm literally like, what What do people even watch on YouTube? Everything, like pet grooming videos, like train spotting videos. There will be queer people in all of these niches because there are queer people in those niches in real life. Like there is no limit on the interests and the hobbies and the passions that we can have. And so I think it's also really valuable to have kind of in a similar way to the LGBT History Month ethos of the actualization and usualization so in schools when you're doing lgbt history month the idea is that you do stuff which is just sprinkling in gay people into lessons where it's relevant and not making it a big deal so like you're learning about earthquakes and fault lines in geography and you do a profile on san francisco and you learn x many people live here this is how big it is here are some fun facts there was a fire there also it's the city in the u.s with the largest population on the census of queer households just a fact just sprinkle it in because it's a it's a relevant human geography fact the Mm. same as the other facts but then you also have specific classes where you do dig deeper into queer issues so that it is both something that's just usualized as they say rather than normalized kind of leaving out the normal as a bit of a judgmental word Mm -hmm. just usualized but then also they they don't just leave it at surface level they can also dig into it and I kind of feel like that's the same with YouTube right that you have people who are just incidentally queer who are making content and you have people who make content specifically about being queer and I think that having all of that within the culture the general outlook of youtube right now is great i think that's like a really great place to be that people can find someone to relate to in like any any interest any stage in their life that they are there's probably someone on youtube or on any other kind of social media on instagram on tiktok that that you're going to resonate with back in the day when youtubers became a thing and youtube became a profession that you could have rather than just a hobby a lot of people were kind of doing 
daily vlogs and you know kind of the original content and now there is just so much which is why I think video essays are really valuable and the work that you do is really valuable because it's kind of taking on a different form where do you generate your ideas from for your video essays and what kind of inspires the process um so I have a big long list um there are some video essay ideas that I literally have been sitting on since like 2018 or something ridiculous I got a comment today on a video that was like where's where's this video you mentioned in this video that you're working on and it was from like five years ago and I'm like still on the list (laughs) (laughs) but it just takes so long like these videos take so long I produce like one or two a month 45 minutes to an hour of like solid me talking me writing an essay I've got like 10,000 words that I'm doing in each of these as well as like recording and editing everything like it takes a while but what will generally happen is there'll be something that like just really captures my interest in some way and I try and go at it from the point of view of like I do my research first and then I come up with my argument I guess Mm -hmm. rather than like having an argument and then trying to fit the evidence to the argument um it's very rare that I feel like I have enough knowledge off the bat like as I get inspired that I'm like I know what I want to say about this sometimes that can take me on weird little tangents the ADHD brain definitely comes into that and then sometimes a show will come up or or a movie or something that I kind of watch or I read and I'm like oh I have to make a video about this like now so that's literally happening as we speak I'm like halfway through scripting a video about our flag means death the new gay pirate comedy and then I also know in like 10 days Heartstopper's coming out I'm like I'm I'm gonna find something to do a video about so I've sort of committed myself to do a Heartstopper video the the truest pain of my life in the last week has been that I messaged the like Netflix uh, like PR backend people that you can message if you want like a script, press screener or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they they told me that I couldn't have like any episode screeners for Heartstopper. And I was like, oh no. no. Oh my God. Oh, I'm weeping. So I'm going to basically have to just like be the fastest video I've ever had to make as I like mainline four hours of Heartstopper Netflix, like every episode, and then just immediately go and try and write something about it. But like for the most part, it's kind of planned very far in advance and sometimes I start to make there's a particular video which is about horror and gender that literally I've been writing since like 2016 and I just keep missing the point at which it would be a good time to release the video Mm. I just miss Halloween or I miss the release of like a new movie that would work quite well I'm like wait I'm biding my time with that that video is like 15,000 words and I'm biding my time for like a new release of like an A24 horror that really fits with the with the vibe of the video to like slot it in and it will all come together. Mm. But yeah, no, it's not a very scientific process. Like I know some people with with YouTube who make it around a particular niche, like maybe they make it about, I don't know, fly fishing, something like that. And to them, it's pretty easy to figure out at least some videos in advance because it's like, okay, so... I know that I need to do a how-to video about this and I know I need to do like a tips video about that. Whereas with video essays, it's kind of just a bit of a mess, to be honest, in terms of trying to do theming and and cohesive niche stuff. A lot of my stuff, for example, is LGBTQ plus related, but then Mm. some of it will just pop into my brain and I'll be like, I guess this isn't gay, but I'm interested in it. So we'll just do that as well. That's brilliant. That's classic neurodivergent behavior. I totally... 
over there like I've got one that I really want to do from what I used to work at the pool which was a like yeah anytime I talk to anyone who's in journalism they're like the the reactions mellowed over the years but when it initially exploded it was like oh my at the pool I loved the pool anytime you saw the pool on social media that was me hello um I did all of their social media for like uh, a couple of years there literally my last day at the pool was the day that everyone found out the pool was closing Mm. but it really gave me an insight into the situation let's say with journalism in a world in which you are expected to be able to consume everything for free so there's like a whole video again that I'm working on that's tentatively titled journalism is dead and we killed it which again is not really anything to do with queer movie or history or representation or anything but the, the ADHD brain really goes zig and zagging with uh with content as well as conversation and general Mm. life Mm. i think that's authentic though that's something i appreciate in your content how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Park Diva. So you've been quite vocal about your ADHD diagnosis. Could you speak a little bit about your journey towards diagnosis with this and what it means to you to kind of have advocate for this and have that platform? 
Yeah, so I had a lot of issues when I was a child with like disorganization and memory and like a ton of stuff that essentially didn't necessarily go away, but just became something that was intensely focused on how to try and manage that to the point where it was like, I was known for the opposite. Like I was known for being really scatty, messy, losing everything for a while. And then there was this like shift where suddenly I was like known as the organized one. And it wasn't necessarily because that was who I was naturally. It was because I was really concentrating and really overcompensating. But over the years, it kind of just becomes a thing that you're like, oh yeah, I'm like the one who's organized, right? Like I'm the one who's going to do the spreadsheets and I'm the one who's going to do this and that. Not really realizing that it, it was because I, otherwise I wouldn't remember to like, do anything in my life like I needed that kind of structure I didn't necessarily have my queer awakening because of any kind of online media anything like that Mm -hmm. but I very much had my ADHD awakening because of that and having that information I think the prevailing idea in media of ADHD is this very specific image of like young boy who is probably a boy probably white probably very hyperactive and the butt of the joke is in like oh look at this annoying small child and that's ADHD it like never occurred to me because I did not match most of that description in any way shape or form that that could be me and it wasn't until hearing more about it from people who had a more wide-reaching understanding of what those potential symptoms look like and also what the potential masking of symptoms looks like that it just started to click for me. For me, like I would, it wasn't like I got the diagnosis and suddenly I was like, yes, everyone, this is suddenly, it's revealed. Here is how ADHD is affecting me. Like I previously would be just as open with people about the symptoms of ADHD, but I just wouldn't be able to explain what it was. Mm -hmm. So I'd have to say to people like, hey, I have some issues with my short-term memory. If I, if you've asked me to do something and I, just I'm not doing it like I haven't done it just prompt me again and I like I just need that reminder it's not because I'm trying to be rude or anything like that but I didn't know what to call it it was just like I had to just say I have memory problems or Mm. I have like this problem Mm. having that diagnosis was very very helpful in order for me to be able to explain a bit better to people weirdly thinking about it now similar to when I was coming out as gay and it was like I don't think there's anything wrong with being gay and therefore when people are bullying me by saying that I'm gay, I'm just kind of feeling a bit sad for them. But also Mm. my impetus is not for them to stop calling me gay, but it's for them to understand that that's harmful in case they do it to someone else who will be affected by it. Mm. And I kind of feel in a similar way about this, where I was like, I'm comfortable saying to people, hey, I have these problems with my memory. I have these problems with organizational, whatever it is. But I know that there are other people who won't be as comfortable and who need the kind of security of that diagnosis to be able to say to their employers to the people they work with to their friends like hey here is a diagnosis I have to explain wh- how that might be affecting them like anything I can say might reach someone who sees himself in that and is able to start that journey or feels more confident in being able to advocate for themselves or if people who are dealing with someone who ha- who might have ADHD or has the symptoms kind of feels a little bit more accepting about it and more like it's just a simple request not something that's annoying or something which is unreasonable then it kind of feels like that can only be a a good thing figuring out what it is that I need to ask for from people that's like a a kind of a reasonable adjustment is is still like a journey that's ongoing I'm 
still figuring out like what is the best way of laying out my space for example Mm. that will actually work for me where I won't be able to ignore or my eyes won't just skim over something that's important like all of these little things it's been so so useful seeing other people making content about it and seeing other people and experts and psychologists and being able to learn from them has been really exciting and very like moments of real clarity in terms of like oh actually this will work this is gonna change okay suddenly this has all changed in a way that I hadn't really had since I was a kid and first started figuring out the techniques that worked for me so I wasn't just the one who literally forgot her entire school backpack and lunch and watch and phone every and keys every single day walking out the door just with nothing just not even thinking about it but it's it's been really interesting kind of going through that over especially over the pandemic I also realized a lot of the symptoms that are were being attributed by doctors to anxiety and depression which I think is something which is I think that a lot of women mm, it's just a, just a women thing it's just a women it's like thing. hey it's probably all that anxiety this is these are like very niche or like very rare symptoms of anxiety and depression they seem to fit more with ADHD like how far am I still experiencing anxiety and depression and how far is this just that's dealt with that was something that was happening you know however many years ago when I first got diagnosed with that and maybe it hasn't continued it's just been labeled that way the brains are messy and it's not like a broken leg where you can just like look at it in an x-ray machine and be like oh yes that is it but it's been validating to have someone actually turn around and be like yes you're riddled with adhd this is, this is <laughs> riddled a- is the exact word i have used that oh. I was really lucky the guy the guy who did my assessment his ADHD presented in extremely similar ways to me Mm. and so he was almost like laughing as I was explaining stuff and had to be like it's not because it's funny it's just because you're literally just like explaining my life back to me um, including all of like the things you do to compensate that you might have thought were reasons you don't have ADHD but are in fact something you spend a lot of energy doing to mask the Mm -hmm. the ADHD itself then it's been really fun a fun filled journey which now has got to the place where I actually get to like implement stuff and figure out ways of of kind of dealing with this and and also ways of being excited about about it in a way like Mm -hmm. figuring out ways in which that means that I think differently and what I can bring to a to a conversation to a problem that other people might not who don't have ADHD like not just seeing it as like oh it's an annoying thing that I have to deal with but also like what are the opportunities there what are the positives and what part of me as a person has been shaped by this thing that I will have all my life won't get into that rabbit hole like what a what a parody of this very question I'm about to like mention but the idea of like how much are you you versus your ADHD or your autism or your anxiety Mm -hmm. or your like BPD or like whatever it is that you have like I think that that's a conversation that I am really interested in that is happening in these like I think individual spaces when the mainstream is still stuck on the idea of like hey if you're sad why don't you talk about it and I'm like, there's kind of more complex mm. like questions of mm. self. We've done like, that. We've been there. We've done that. Yeah, like maybe we want to get into a bit deeper, but sure. Like that's also important, I guess. If you're sad, tell people you're sad. But it's a, I think, especially like an interesting topic for queer people because mm. historically we do have a higher incidence of like mental health stuff separate from ADHD, but still kind of can be interlinked in some ways. So it definitely feels like it's a, it's an issue that isn't just a 
particular, hey, I have this disorder, but it also ties in as everything does with these ideas of sexism, medical sexism, all this kind of stuff is very, very linked. As is very annoying when you have ADHD, because suddenly when everything's linked, it's like, there's nowhere to stop. I will just continue mm. to research. I will the continue eternal to... struggle. It's Nothing around. ever, ever <laughs> just is simple with an ADHD brain. So much of the LGBTQI community is impacted by neurodiversity. How do you use your platform to disseminate sort of information about ADHD that is kind of useful for and inclusive of your queer viewers you know it's a catch-22 it's like how are they linked because they're so intertwined but I think that like that old hypothetical that gets thrown out around when people who are for some unknown reason against representation for example will be like oh, I suppose you want your next film to be out about a, a transgender, black, autistic woman who, and you're like, why not? <laughs> you do realise that they exist. They aren't just like a weird hypothetical, like, gotcha that you're throwing out there. Like, that's just a person. That, to me, is the, the thing that's important is like, hey, you're not just one thing. You will potentially be many things and they also can interact with each other, right? I know that the idea of what a someone with ADHD looks like, specifically being centered around boys, for example, had a particular impact on how I got diagnosed. I'm also fully aware of the fact that the fact that that is a white boy who is often talked about means that there will probably be people who aren't white who have had a very similar experience or like a, you know, a slightly different version of it that also was affected by the lack of representation, not just in the sort of like, you can't be what you can't see way of like, oh, I didn't know that that was, you know, I could be that because I never saw someone who looked like me, but literally the symptoms sometimes being totally different. It's not just the, the idea of like, hey, you can be both of these things and they might interact with each other and you might have in very individual ways, your experience of, for example, having to do the self-examination that it might take for you to figure out your own gender and sexuality mm. might also lead you to a kind of self-examination of this other stuff that might make it easier. But similarly, it might be too much for you to be having to do this soul searching of more than one part of your identity at once. And so equally, you can have two, two queer people who their queerness helps them figure out their neurodiversity or hinders them in that journey, depending on their own like personality and their own capacity at the time to be figuring out different ways in which they're different. It's one of those things that can be super linked and just how far it is, is, is tricky and is very individual. This idea of queerness, a heteronormative life, which can be very restrictive. These are your milestones. This is how life goes. This is what you need to adhere to. This is the ideal, like, straight cis woman. You must get married. You must have kids. You must, like, here is the order. This is what life is until you die at the end. And I think one of the exciting things about queerness can be that you can do that now, but you could also be like, screw it. Like, why why is that the default? Why is that the thing we have to do? That's not what I'm interested in. And so that outlook on life, I think, allows you, if you let it, to also give you the openness to be like, oh, like, I don't have to set up my house like everyone else. I don't have to set up my schedule like everyone else. Like, I can just figure out what actually works for me and my friends. Like, I can figure out a way of communicating that works for all of us. All of those, uh, that openness doesn't have to be restricted to specifically openness about sexuality or gender. It can be 
an openness about questioning any of the norms or typical things or structures in your life and that's Mm. very freeing in a lot of ways really liberating yeah no totally I think once you you realize that that actually the world is built for neurotypical people and neurodivergent people can Mm -hmm. actually take control of their schedules for the most part obviously it's hard to that's a simplification it's obviously very hard to do that I think the moment you realize you can do things your own way that's when Mm -hmm. everything changes because you've untangled all of those beliefs you had about the world that actually things don't need to be that way yeah Um, I'm working freelance at the moment and so I'm very aware of like having that privilege of like time scheduling mm. freedom where I can decide how that works but I think that more and more employers like office employers are figuring out that especially when so many people have been like who work in offices for example have been working from home the job will get done. Like, like you don't have to mandate that people are in a certain place at particular times for a job to be done. Looking at things like the four day week, looking at all of this stuff and those kind of freedoms only works better. This is so fucking off topic. But my big thing is like, these conversations are currently leaving behind people who do shift work or who do like work outside of offices. Mm -hmm. And like, what we need to be doing now is figuring out how we do the four day week for people who are on like minimum wage, living wage or working shift work irrelevant to our conversation but like it's uh (laughs) but totally but totally a valid point as well totally relevant if you could give one piece of advice to sort of young lgbtqi people women um on navigating the world coming out living their life what would it be and this is a piece of advice that feels easier said than done but it is indeed possible everything is better and easier when you find your people like genuine genuine connections friendships family whether that is biological found family whatever it might be they will be able to put things in perspective for you they will be able to help you like emotionally physically whatever it might be finding people who actually genuinely accept you with no pretense with no feeling like you have to mask feeling like you have to make excuses for yourself feeling like you're on like waiting for the other shoe to drop finding that genuine friendship is something that I just feel like every problem that I've had that that has helped with it like that has helped solve it or that has helped me get through it one of the reasons why in the book I wanted to talk about finding queer friends because I was like this is easier said than done and like it's especially I think when when there were lockdowns and all this kind of stuff it was like even harder I have some of the best friends I've ever made have been through the internet have been through kind of digital spaces Um, I have like a very very good friend who lives in Seattle who in person I've seen maybe twice three times in my entire life um (laughs) but that we you know we'll watch stuff together online we'll go on video calls we chat all the time and that friendship is just as valuable because it is authentic it is honest figuring that out ultimately kind of makes everything feel like it's doable achievable survivable in a lot of ways i think it's important to like explicitly say uh the book was written kind of it's called a guide to life for queer girls or queer girls guide to life as the actual subtitle is and that is specific but inclusive let's say so essentially if you vibe with the phrase queer girl in any way the book's for you Mm. and that's up to you to decide if you are like yes i'm a queer girl sweet if you're like "Mm -mm, maybe ooh, that is uh it kind of feels kind of like it could be me. Sweet. It, the book's for you. If you're someone who's like, mm, I'm a queer girl sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I feel like that. Sweet. 
cool it's for you like there's there's no idea of like this is only for this kind of queer girl or anything it's like no you can be cis you can be trans you can be non-binary but if you vibe with that particular label that works i'm very conscious in the book that it's not restrictive in what a queer girl means we have people who in the guest essays for example my friend annie is one of the guest essayists and i specifically asked them like hey i know that when you've described your gender and your identity woman adjacent has been a phrase you've used stuff like that would you be happy to write for the book knowing like how it's being sold and like the way it's been described because I think it'll be really valuable for people who are maybe pick up the book and are either like coming out of the idea of being a girl or like coming into it or aren't really sure would probably find something quite valuable in someone who doesn't entirely fit that label it's kind of feels very frustrating but very important to have to point that out at a time when I think the UK is going through a situation where there's a lot of anti-trans sentiment and a lot of like trans exclusive sentiment, which I don't vibe with. So the book does not assume what kind of body you might have, whether that is to do with your genitals or abilities uh, of any part of your body, like nothing is kind of assumed. Who knows what kind of body you have as you pick up this book as a queer girl? I don't. We kind of want it to be something that you can open the book and like flip to the section about sex or relationships and feel just as included as someone who's like cis girl, who's able-bodied would. I like flicking through the book because there's so many illustrations. I was like, here's like a list of just stuff I would love to see characters have based on just like people that I know, whether it's mobility aids, we've got characters with hearing aids, we've got characters who have any kind of body type with tons of cute illustrations in the books that I want to go through and like name every single little tiny character in them. Felt like probably important to say that queer girl is a phrase that's used in the most inclusive sense possible you know we talk specifically about some issues that might affect you if you are identifying as a girl like misogyny misogynoir trans misogyny trans misogynoir as well like the more specific examples but also just like general stuff that could kind of apply to anyone in the queer community Rowan thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Pod Diva it's been so heartwarming listening to your experiences good luck with hearing queer and Pod Diva listeners go and buy it Pod Diva thank you for listening to Pod Diva Queers for your ears, in association with Diva Magazine, the world's leading brand for LGBTQIA plus women and non-binary people. Please listen and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Diva Magazine. You can email us at editorial at divamag.co.uk. Share the love by leaving us a review. Pod Diva. Queers for your ears. Pod Diva. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.